Christmas at Compassion series this morning that will take us through uh, the Christmas holiday. I want to talk to you this morning from a message that I'm calling Because of the Baby. How many of y'all know that a baby changes everything? Have you lived that out? Because of the baby. Uh, some of you are the man that you are, the woman that you are because of a baby, because life changed when a baby came into your life. Well, this morning we begin thinking about the baby Jesus who, who was predetermined to come into our world at a specific time for a specific purpose. We'll get to all of that in just a few moments, but I want to just start by, by reflecting on um, a book that I've been reading this past week. Just finished it up. Okay, when I say reading, what I really mean is listening to it while I drive because, like, who reads anymore, right? Audio books, come on. Um, a book called An American Life by President Ronald Reagan. Uh, autobiography, and it's been fascinating to go back and listen to President Reagan's voice as he, as he reads the words of his autobiography. But where I'm going with this this morning is back in 1981, um, President Ronald Reagan underwent an assassination attempt on March 30th of 1981. Uh, John Hinckley Jr. shot and wounded the president as he discharged six rounds from his pistol at close range. Uh, Secret Service were, were all over the situation, and one of the Secret Servicemen actually shoved Reagan into the waiting limousine. He had come out of the, the Washington Hilton and was walking to his limousine. Somehow, Hinckley had gotten through the Secret Service, had gotten through the, all of the security that was in place, and was in close range with a weapon. As he, he unloads all six rounds from his revolver and hits two or three of the men that were with, three of the men, I think, that were with him. And one of the Secret Service agents shoves Reagan into the limousine, and in Reagan own words, he says, I didn't even know that I'd been shot. He felt blood, but he thought that when the Secret Service agent had shoved him into the limousine, that he had fallen on a rib, punctured his lung. That's what he thought. The bullet had actually come between where the back door opened. The back door of the limousine was open. The bullet made its way through that tiny opening and pierced President Reagan's lung and, and stopped an inch away from his heart, almost killing him. Reagan tells the story of how he was transported to the hospital uh, along the way. Um, he didn't know exactly what was going on. He knew that shots had been fired, but he thought that his lung had been punctured, and he's gasping for air, struggling to breathe, even loses consciousness at one point. But the surgeons get in, are able to repair everything, and save his life. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Well, it's going to lead us into a story. Um, Reagan took office a lot of y'all are too young to remember this, but Reagan took office at a time when America had, I think it was 50 hostages in Iran. The world was in transition. The Cold War with the Soviet Union was at its height. Um, during Reagan's presidency, he would send uh, American troops into Grenada uh, on a mission to stop the spread of communism and Marxism. And with all of the work that President Reagan did, what would have happened if his life had been lost 30 days three months after his inauguration. Well, the world will never know because for whatever reason, God chose to spare his life. God chose to spare his life. And a lot of good things happen because of that. That leads us to where I'm going this morning. That's going to actually lead us. President Ronald Reagan is going to lead us into the Christmas story because 
There was another assassination attempt that took place 2,000 years ago. The long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, uh, was born in a little town called Bethlehem. And not only did King Herod not want this baby to be born, but he did not want this baby to live. But it's not just about King Herod. Satan himself had a plan to kill this newborn baby Messiah. And if you think, okay, that's a great history lesson, Jeff, all of that, I can read that in the Bible. How many of you know right now that the same Satan, 2,000 years later, has a plan for the destruction of your life as well? For a lot of us, it's not hard to look around and see how Satan has been working to try to destroy us, to destroy our family, to destroy our future, to destroy our minds, to destroy our lives, to destroy everything. But can I say to you this morning, if that's the place that you're in, the same God who had a, pre had a plan for President Ronald Reagan has a plan for your life. And a lot of what happens with your life is going to be a result of the decisions that you make. Now, you may sit there and think, well, Jeff, the, the things that's happened in my life are a result of decisions that other people have made. But what are you going to do with all of that? That's where we're going this morning. So, so I want to just start. This is a little bit different message. I'm going to read a, a good bit of scripture and try to explain some of it. And then we'll come to a main point. Here's, here's where I want to start. What if Satan's plan had succeeded? What if Satan's plan had succeeded? So let's go into the story. And this is part of the Christmas story recorded in the book of Matthew to see the diabolical plan that Satan has as it begins to unfold. If we go to Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. All right, so you... Good chance, if you're church-going people, you've probably heard that lots of times. Let's get a little backstory on that. So it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. So Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem, their home place where, where, jo uh, where Joseph was born. They had to go there to take a census. And everybody in the land had to do the same thing. They had to go to take a census so they'd keep up with taxes, all of those things. So they were traveling to, to Bethlehem. Um, there's a king whose name is Herod. And Herod plays a large part in the story that we're reading this morning. King Herod was the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. Does that sound familiar to anyone? King Herod was appointed by the Romans to be the king of the Jews in this area. Uh, so to make some sense of that, uh, Israel was not Roman, right? If you remember back to high school history, and we, we learned that all roads lead to Rome, which meant that in those days, the Roman Empire had conquered all of the known world. And that included Jerusalem, Bethlehem, all of those areas. So Romans came into those towns, those cities, and they took over, and they would appoint kings of, of areas, but they were under the Roman rule. So Herod was named king of the Jews, but he was not one of them. Herod was ruthless. History tells us that Herod even had his own wife killed, had some of his sons killed. He had no problem killing anybody that stood up against him. King Herod, king of the Jews. Magi. It says the, the Magi came from the east. So what are Magi? Well, in traditional Christmas stories, we see the three wise men, but we don't know that there were three. Not that that matters. We know there were three gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, myrrh, Two of those gifts were gifts that were fitting for a king. Myrrh was um, a balm that was used for embalming people. 
what a morbid gift. I hope none of y'all take Wes and Karen or, or any of our new babies uh, a present of, uh, of myrrh, right? It was for embalming, but it was a foreshadowing of what was about to happen with Jesus's life. Magi are the wise men, came from the east. What are wise men? Well, um, maybe astrologers. Maybe they could read the stars. Maybe had the gift of interpreting dreams, but they had come from far off, maybe even traveled for weeks to get there. So that's what's going on here. Let's go ahead to verses three through five. Continuing on. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, King Herod was troubled. Absolutely, he was troubled. Here's the king of the Jews being told that the Messiah, who will be the king of the Jews, the Messiah who has been foretold through all of the Old Testament prophecy and scripture has been born. It's like this, he has this day with destiny that he can't stop, or can he? If he acts now while the baby is a baby, can he stop the plan that's in motion? He is greatly disturbed at the news that the king of the Jews has been born. So he calls together the chief priests and scribes. Again, let's get a little context here. From a political standpoint, Herod is the king of the Jews. But the way that, that Jerusalem and, and the Jewish people worked was through the system of the law given by Moses. The chief priest was over all of the priests, the scribes or the teachers of the law. They were the keepers of the law. He calls them together and says, what's going on? These are the men that would have known what the Old Testament scriptures would say and where the Messiah was to be born. They told him he was to be born in Bethlehem. Let's go to verses seven through eight. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, let me just ask you a question. Do y'all think King Herod is gonna go and worship this newborn king of the Jews? Absolutely not. Um, Herod had no plans to worship this king. He had plans to find out where this baby king was and to go and kill this baby king. And he's sending the Magi to find the baby king so that he can put this diabolical evil plot into play to kill the newborn king. Um, in verses 9 through 11, it actually said, we're going to skip over that, but it says in verses 9 through 11, they went to the house where Mary and Joseph were staying. Now, that's not in your outline, but it says they went to the house, which means they would have moved from the stable to a house where they stayed for a time until other things happened. So when you see the manger scene, this is free, probably not worth anything, but when you see the manger scene and you see the wise men at the manger, well, it says they went to the house where they stayed. So whatever, that's no big deal. Let's skip ahead to verse 12. It says, and having been warned in a dream, not to go back to Herod, they, the Magi, returned to their country by another route. So what's happened here? Satan has a plan to kill Jesus. He's enacting that plan through King Herod. King Herod is in a, on a mission to kill Jesus, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God had better plans in place. And some of you who are here today have been in the crosshairs of Satan's plan to destroy your life, but God stepped in and changed the plans. But God stepped in and changed the plans. So God tells the Magi to go back a different way than the way they came. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. What's going to happen is if they go back to Jerusalem and tell Herod where this baby is, then all hell's going to break loose. 
And God says, we're not doing it that way. I'm going to preserve your life, and I'm going to preserve the life of Jesus. Go on to verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, in a dream. This angel of the Lord says, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So the angel of the Lord is telling Joseph this. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. On the ground level here, we see King Herod. On the ground level, with what's natural and normal, and through the human eye, we see King Herod with this diabolical evil plot and plan to kill Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. But if you take the plane up to 30,000 feet, there was more to it than that. Herod was working under the hand of Satan. Whether he knew it or not, Satan was pulling the strings, putting everything in place. And I wonder what maybe Satan was saying to Herod during these times. I wonder if he was saying things to him like, you know you have to kill him. You're the king, but a new king is coming. If you don't do something now, it's going to be disastrous. Have you ever been in a place like that in your life where you start feeling these, these feelings? You're having these thoughts. And, and if you pull back from it, you would know that the things that you are buying into, well, that can't be from God. God would never tell me to kill this baby. God would never cause me to be anxious and worried and upset about these things. God says that he'll bring joy and peace to my life. I wonder if some of us this morning, as we hear this, maybe God's trying to show us, maybe not from a standpoint of trying to kill a baby, I hope not, but maybe God is revealing some things in our lives that the voice of the enemy is playing into our mind and tempting us to step into things that God never had even planned for. The diabolical plan that was playing out was the work of Satan working through a man named Herod to try to stop Jesus from being born. Why would he do that? Because he knew that if this Jesus gets born, if we don't stop him from growing up to be a, to be a man, Satan knew that his days were numbered. He knew that Jesus would come into our world, go to a cross, and free all of mankind from our sin. Well, his diabolical plan was an assassination plot on this child. But watch what happens next. If you go to verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. What an evil, wicked man. You know, I wonder if Herod might have had the opportunity to look back on his life to a younger time. I wonder if Herod might have looked at this latter version of himself and say, I cannot believe that I've become the man that I am. I cannot believe that I'm chasing after this baby to kill it. But, but, but as if it were not bad enough that I've chased after this baby to kill this baby because he's proclaimed as the king of the Jews, when that didn't succeed, now I've made a proclamation to kill all of the baby boys two years old and, and under. I've killed my wife. I've killed my sons. I wonder if, if, if Herod ever stopped and thought, how did I get here? I'm fighting against the entire world to try to get what I want. You ever felt that way? Have you ever stepped back and look at your life? Thought, my God, how did I get here? 
Where will Satan take you? He will lead you right up to the edge of the cliff. And he'll let you dangle your feet over that cliff. You know what else he'll do? He'll say jump. He'll even push you. He'll get you off balance leaning. And what happens next all depends on who you're listening to. Because the voice of God will say to you, step back from the cliff. But you have to be listening. And you have to hear it. Herod was so deep into his plan. He was so deep into his decision that I'm going to be the God of, of this area. That's the way they thought back then. I am preeminent. I am the one. Everybody's going to bow down and worship me. He probably considered himself a God. Maybe you wouldn't say it that way in your life, but maybe there have been times in your own life when you considered yourself God of your life. What do you mean, Jeff? I don't consider myself God. There's only one God. Yeah, you say that with your mouth, but have you ever operated as if the whole world revolves around you? Doesn't matter who you hurt. Doesn't matter who thinks what about you. You ever been there? Herod was in a terrible place. He was up on the cliff. And the voice of the enemy is constantly telling him, take one more step, take one more step. Maybe some of you who are here today are in that place of feeling like you're on the cliff. And the voices that's in your mind are telling you, it's never going to get better. It's always going to be this way. You've always done it this way. And it's always going to be this way. Now, right now, I need you to just tell that voice or those voices in your mind to stop. And I need you to go down deep inside your spirit and hear the voice of God that's calling to you and saying, child, I love you. Step back from the cliff. Step back from the cliff. Stop trying to figure it out. Let me work for you. You were never designed to fight Satan and his plan on your own. And God has brought you here today because he needs to tell you that there is a diabolical plan, an assassination attempt on your life. But if you'll trust God, he's not going to let that happen. What would have happened if Herod's plan, if Satan's plan had succeeded? What would have happened? Well, Satan had a plan, but God wouldn't let it happen. If that plan had, had happened, if Satan had killed baby Jesus as a child, only God knows what would have happened. But here's what we know. We would have no savior. We would have no redeemer. We would have no sacrifice. You say, Jeff, why couldn't somebody else have stepped in? Because Jesus is the only one who was the spotless lamb of God, born of a virgin, born of the Holy Spirit, sinless, never sinned in his entire life, and he was the only one who could go to the cross for us. He is and was and will be our answer for redemption, for salvation. Maybe you bring some junk into this morning with you. Maybe you're dragging your past along with you and you've not yet figured out how to get loose from it. What if Satan's plan... What if Satan's plan had been carried out? Friend, I tell you right now, you would have never had any hope. But because of Jesus, everybody say, but God. But God had a plan, Kaedra. He had a plan for a baby to be born. We would have been left here to deal with our sin on our own. We don't have a way of dealing with our sin on our own. Either be perfect or find one who is when there's only one. You know, God loves us so much. What's the word say? That he sent his only son into our world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he sent his son into the world for. Um, he was our one and only way. And in the same way that we see that Satan had a diabolical plan for the destruction of all mankind, you can begin to see 
how he has an individualized plan for your life. God have mercy. I can look back over my life, man, just being honest with you. I can look back over my very own life and see seasons where the voice of God had been dulled down because of my proclivity to listen to the temptations, because of my wanting to go to the voices. No, not, 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 some, not somebody hog-tying me and dragging me in a direction, me willingly going towards the temptations and willingly walking away from God. And those are some of the darkest seasons in my life. But friend, can I tell you that walking with Jesus on a daily basis is a, is a joy in my life. It brings pleasure. It brings hope. It brings, it brings adventure. It brings purpose. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for you. The temptations look so enticing, but they never deliver on what they're promising. Man, I thank God for a mom and dad that drug me to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and everything else that was going on, Christmas plays. Some of y'all got kids that need to be in this Christmas production this year, even if it means they put a washcloth on their head and a pig nose on them to get them into manger scene. Come on. They need to be in it, man. I thank God for mama putting me in those spots. Um, I thank God for a mom and dad that prayed for me, even when I became an adult, especially when I became an adult. Some of y'all mamas in this room right now, man, you need to know that there is power in a praying mama, power in a praying mama. But guess what, dads? There's power in praying dads too. And there's some kids that are still underneath the hand of God because of parents that love them and pray for them. Well... Since God made sure that Satan did not succeed, what can happen? Can we just thank God that he did not allow Satan to succeed? Can we give God a hand clap of praise? Give him a shout of praise that he didn't let Satan's plan come to fruition? Because God did not allow Satan's plan to succeed, three things. Number one, I can accept God's free gift of salvation. Some of you this morning, I've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Now, I'll read it in just a moment, but before I do, I want to say this to you. Maybe you've, been, maybe you've been pushing back or hesitating about giving your life to Christ and following Him and letting Him be the Lord because maybe you feel like you've done too much. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far. Maybe you feel like there's just too much for you to clean up and you can never get there. But that's not what the Word says. It doesn't say your salvation and being set free from your past is dependent upon you doing something. Look at what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Being saved from your sin is a gift that none of us deserve. That's grace. You take hold of it through faith. Faith is saying, I believe in the Jesus who, who not only died on the cross, but was resurrected. Lots of men have died in the name of religion. Where is Confucius now? Where is Buddha now? Where are all of those who would say that I am the way? They died and they're still dead. Where is Jesus? Word tells us that he's interceding for all the saints at the right hand of the Father. Amen? There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Jesus did it all. That's grace, man. Only grace. And it's beautiful that God requires nothing of us but to place our faith in Him to be our Lord and Savior. And He does everything else. Second thing, I can step into the story that God has written on my life. And I want you to know, my friend, that God has written a story on your life before you were ever born. Look at Ephesians 2.10, which follows up on the previous two verses we just read. It says, For we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Some of y'all memorized that verse just a couple of months ago. You, that's very familiar to you. I want to say to you that there is a story that's been written on your life. Before your mom and daddy ever even had a twinkle in their eye, God had a plan for you to be born at a certain time, in a certain place. He's allowed you to go through experiences that you've gone through because there are things that he needed to build into you so that you can do the thing that he planned you to do. He has a story. He has a plan for your life. Your story can really begin when you accept Jesus as your L-O-R-D, Lord. Now listen, you got to hear me on this church. Jesus being your Lord is not the same thing as Jesus being your Savior. The Savior saves us from our sin and rescues us, but the Lord is the one who is the master of the house. The Lord is the one who makes the plan for the day. The Lord is the one who sets us out into the journey of the work that we're to do. Some of you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, but if you're honest with yourself, you've never surrendered to allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your life who guides you and directs you and puts you in the places that he designed you to go. That can all change today. If Jesus is your Savior, he has to be your Lord. If he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. Salvation comes from surrender. Last thing, I can experience all of the good things that God has for me. Make no mistake about it, man. God has so much good that he wants for you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. What does an apple tree produce? Good, good answer. What does an orange tree produce? Y'all are two for two. Well, a Christian should produce fruit too. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that characterize your life right now? Or would you say that your life is characterized by chaos, by turmoil, by anxiety, by fear, by worry, by guilt, by shame? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you? If not, What's holding you back from it? It's either you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you accepted Jesus, but all of the turmoil of life is screaming louder than the voice of the Savior. I want to share a quick story with you right now. My Hope Center guys will be very familiar. I've told this lots of times to these guys, but for the rest of you, I don't know if I've shared this specific story. Go with me on a journey just for a moment. Imagine that your life is a vehicle, a car, if you will. Imagine that your life is a vehicle that God has given you and your life is a vehicle and God sent you on a journey. He says, here's the keys to your new new vehicle of life. Take it and go wherever you want to go. God, I don't know where to go. Okay, what you going to do? Well, what most of us do in that situation is we take the car and we start going where we want to go bad decision. We take the car and we get on the interstate and we're going to California or we're going to Florida. We, we go see some cool places, do some cool things with our lives. But somewhere in our life, we think we're going one direction. We make a wrong turn and next thing we know, we're in a wrong direction. Next thing we know, I've driven the vehicle of my life off of a cliff. I'm out in West Virginia in the hollers, man, off of a cliff and that thing is rolled down and I'm so far off of the road and the car has crashed and I'm hanging upside down by the seatbelt in the car and I scream and I yell. No one hears me. No one can see that my vehicle of my life is crashing at the bottom of the hill. And I'm screaming and I'm yelling. And then I stop because I realize, man, nobody can hear me. I'm wasting my breath. If someone doesn't come and get me, I will perish right here. 
and you're alone and you're still for a while. And then you hear a voice that starts calling out your name. At first you don't believe it. How could someone get to me? And that voice calls out your name. Says, Jeff, I'm here. I can rescue you. I can save you. Do you want me to get you out of here? Yes, get me out of this mess. I can't get out on my own. I'm stuck in the vehicle of my life and I've wrecked it. The Savior has come to rescue. We, we, we make this thing of salvation being, yes, Jesus, rescue me from the wreck that I've made. But it's deeper than that. Because God wants to make a trade with you before that all takes place. He is here and he is willing to rescue you. But here's the trade. Before I get you out of there, Jeff, there's something I need to know. If I get you out of here, I want you to know that I have another vehicle up at the top of the road. I can get you out of here and I can take you and put you in my vehicle. Do you want that, Jeff? Yes, I want that. But how about we do this? When we get to the top of the road and you get in my vehicle, how about you sit in the passenger seat? How about you let me drive? You mean I can just sit here and I don't have to worry about where I'm going? I don't have to worry about the police pulling me over, giving me a ticket. I don't have to worry about running this thing off the road. Nope, I got all of that. Jesus is telling you that he will sit in the driver's seat and he will take you everywhere that you need to go. That's him being the Lord and the Savior. Now here's what we do. <clears throat> we say, yeah, 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 I want that. I'm getting in the car. We go to the top of the hill. Jesus cuts us out of the thing. We go to the top of the hill. We get in his car. We start riding with him. We ain't been riding 45 minutes and something shiny shows up. Jesus, stop the car, stop the car, stop the car. Jesus stops the car. You get out. Go chase the shiny thing a little bit. Jesus sits there and waits on you. You chase that shiny thing. And then you realize, man, I'm doing it again. God, I wonder if he's still there. And you look, the car's still sitting there. Jesus is still waiting on you. Throw your head down. You go back to get in the car. Close the door. Jesus looks at you. Well, how'd that work out? Not too good, Lord. What'd you learn? It's better with you than it is out there. You ready to go again? Yes, Lord, I'm sorry. You know what that is? That's forgiveness. That's grace. That's repentance. Jesus doesn't kick you out of the car. He doesn't tell you I'm mad at you. He doesn't tell you you'll never get past this. You always, Jesus says you're ready to go again. Let, let's go a little farther this time. And so we get in the car and we go again and we get out and we go again and we get out. How many of us have gotten out of Jesus' car a thousand times? And a thousand times he's waiting on us to come right back in. Why am I telling you that today? Because Satan has a plan to destroy you, your family, and everything. But God had a plan. He had a plan from the beginning to surround you with his angels, to speak his voice into your life, to let you know that the baby came into this world so that you may have life, so that you may have freedom. On your feet, everybody in the room, on your feet. As you stand your feet this morning, there's an invitation that I'm giving to you right now. There's an invitation that I'm giving to those of you this morning who know that, that you're that one who's wrecked the car. Your car is off the cliff and you need Jesus to save you and to be your Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning and you know that the voice of Jesus is calling to you, he's asking you right now, do you want me to save you? Your answer is yes. He's asking you right now, will you let me be your Lord? Let me drive. Your answer is yes. Would you just step out of your seat and make your way forward so I can pray over you and lead you in the prayer of salvation? I see people moving. Come on.
Come on down. There's some people who need to give their life to Jesus today. Come on down. Amen. Who else? Who else? Amen. Just, yes, make your way right down to this altar. Praise God. Everybody in the room, look at the person beside them. There's some people here this morning that will come if somebody will come with them. Look at the person beside them and say, if I go with you, will you go? Come on, do it. There's people who want somebody to go with them. Come on, if I go with you, will you go? Come on. Come on. If I look, Come on, guys, you got to do this. Ask the person on both sides, if I go with you, will you go? They're, heaven and hell is at, at stake right now. Anybody else? My God. If I go with you, will you go? I see some people moving. All right, we're going to pray. For those of you, if you can hear me, those of you who have come up here and are praying right now, if you've come to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer. Church, I need you to pray this with me. Everybody in the room, praying out loud. God, I need you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I give you my life today. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Make me whole. Make me new. Give me a new life, God, and I will follow you. Lord, I've made a mess of things. I can't fix it on my own, and I need you. Jesus, today, because of your grace, because of my faith, I declare that you are my Lord, you are my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For some of you this morning, it's not a matter of salvation. It may just be a matter of turning around. It may just be a matter of, of I need God's hand to work in my life. As our band continues to play this amazing next song, this altar is open. For those of you who need to lay down something and get the help of God in your life, make your way forward. Let's worship.